Hey, so last week, Pastor Mike wrapped up the sermon series called Growing God's Healthy Church. And, and, and it was where we looked at, you know, what, what is the church? What is the ch- church function? And, and not only that, then we took some time and we, we, we slowed down and we looked at prayer and we looked at evangelism and discipleship and stewardship of one's life. And, and so now as a church, now that that's done, um, and by the way, it's not done, but that sermon series is finished. We're actually going to have a summer of preaching through some different psalms. Okay, so that's what you can expect as we continue forward. And in the fall, what you're going to have is, Pastor Mike, then we will pick up the book of 1 Timothy, and we will dive into it, and we will go right to God's Word and have Him teach us through the Word. So now that that sermon series is done, we can move on to something other than growing God's healthy church, right? And you would say wrong. Because why? Well, because we don't move on from that mission. We just, we actually, we move deeper into it. And and God doesn't allow us to move on from it because that's what God's doing. That's what we just heard. But, But here's the thing. My hope is that we would love to give our lives to making much of God, but not, listen, not out of guilt and not because we think we have to do this or that, but, but literally out of a heart that is transformed by the gospel, a heart that is filled with joy for Jesus and love for one another. Ultimately, and I've said this before, that increasing the health and size of God's church everywhere is what happens when you believe and understand the gospel. So we don't move on. We just move deeper into the mission. That's what we're going to do by God's grace. Now, I think as we read the Psalms and as we hear them preach, that you're going to agree that these beautiful writings are all about the greatness of God, all about his saving power, how amazing he is, and how he has a a real deep love and affection for the world. See, the Psalms were were really the divinely inspired hymn book of ancient Israel. And and we know that from 1 Chronicles in chapter 16. But see, here's the thing. The Psalms were not simply read. They weren't. They were sung. They were absolutely sung. Music, music has a way of penetrating hearts like nothing else. I think you probably would all agree. Now, music affects us all a little bit differently, but it, it penetrates the heart, the mind, the imagination, and, and it really does do something. I can tell you right now, like, I'm sure when you hear certain songs, you think about certain things, if you know the song, right? It brings you back right to a certain time. So myself, personally, 90s grunge does it for me, man. I'm telling you, like Pearl Jam, Nirvana, Screaming Trees, Smashing Pumpkins, these are strange names, but I got to tell you, when I hear 90s grunge, man, I am like back into a certain era that, that for me, it had lots of downs, but it just, the music, like, right? Like, because the flannel, I love flannels, in case you ever hung out with me. You know this. I mean, that's my only wardrobe in the fall, in the winter, and in the spring, but it's too hot this summer. But, but man, it, it had some vibrance to it. It had some real life, but really, chances are every era had that. But at that time in my life, boy, that music did something to me. Right, and so I can still hear it, and I'm right back there. Thoughts and emotions, and this and that, and music does that. Well, in many ways, in many ways, that's how the Psalms work in our hearts and, and in our minds. See, which is why this year personally, I've chose to do a devotion every day through the Book of Psalms. Right? I just decided that in January, and I, I really, I've come to understand something about the Psalms. That, that probably I never really did that before. You cannot quickly read these things. You, you just can't. You, can, you could. I mean, I, you could read them quickly. You won't probably be benefited and blessed by it like you would if you would, if you would come to the understanding and ask God to search me, right? Like, so Psalm 139 says, search me, oh God. Know my heart, not my thumper, but like who I am. Know me. Try me. Know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way that is everlasting. See, that can't just be quickly read and blown through with a cold heart and dull immersions and then moving on to Psalm 140. You, you can't do that. No, what, do you, what must we do? Well, first, 
We need to meditate on it. We need to think. We need to invite the Holy Spirit to teach us, to open our eyes, to to help me understand and to believe this good news about our good and gracious God. And, And God delights to reveal himself through his word. He loves to do that. And as he does, as he does, we come away saying, oh, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How great are you? And, and that fills our heart with, a, with, with really a love for him, which then pours out into a, a love for others, hopefully, as we see how great he is. And, and if we're reading them properly, and if the Holy Spirit as our helper is, is teaching us, we come away knowing that God is more holy, more wise, more fearsome, more powerful, more merciful, more graceful, more forgiving, and more loving than I could have ever imagined him to be. Don't we? I mean, don't we? The Psalms help us to taste and see that the Lord is good. So I encourage you to read them this summer as you hear different ones preached by different preachers as we're going to have different campus pastors and and such preaching as Pastor Mike is out and away for the next few weeks. So with all that being said, and with that, let's say introduction in our hearts and our minds, let's read Psalm 67. Now, if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to open it up now. Uh, If you don't, you're welcome to follow along on the two screens. And and as I read, I really want you to to listen and ask God, ask the Holy Spirit to teach you. Ask him to do that. And and so let's read. It says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. By the way, that word selah in your Bible, it just means to pause, to meditate, to reflect upon. You don't even have to read it. It's just saying pause. Think about that. What was just said, right? That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all the nations. Let the peoples praise you. Oh God, let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy for you judge the peoples with equity and you guide the nations upon the earth. Let all the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The the earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. So as you know, if you've been coming here for any amount of time, our church, or if you're a member, your church, we, we put a lot of priority on reaching the unreached through world missions, a lot of priority. And, and I'm thankful for that because I want to be involved in what God's doing. And God is all about doing work within the world, not just in America. He is jealous for the nations to praise him. Listen, listen as I read from uh, uh, just when you go to our website, if you were to go there and click missions, here's what you're going to find. It says here at Harvest, We are committed to spreading the name of Jesus Christ and discipling Christians all over the world. We want to reach out to every tribe, tongue, and nation to further the kingdom of God. For one day, a great multitude will stand before the throne of one true God and proclaim that salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And it says, come, see how you can impact the world for Jesus Christ our Lord. I love that invitation, and I would say that invitation goes out to everybody who is at harvest. And you might be thinking, well, does that mean we all become missionaries? No, it doesn't, so hang in there. But we all participate in this, or we don't, but we ought to, because he's calling us to do that. You know, I love this, because missions is at the very heart of our glorious God. And, and as you've heard and hopefully witnessed, it's very important to us Now, it should not be surprising, right? Because, now let's make sure of one thing. Let's make sure to keep in mind, as John Piper has stated clearly in the book, Let the Nations Be Glad, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions. Because God is ultimate, not man. I love that quote. 
I love that. And he adds this. He says, the goal of missions is the gladness of the people in the greatness of God. And then he concludes, all of history is moving toward one great goal, the white-hot worship of God and his Son among all the peoples of the earth. So let's work our way through this scripture, because this is exactly what the scripture says. Let's look at Psalm 67. So, church, people, listen, as a church, we should seek and desire God as the greatest blessing. He is the greatest blessing. Listen to verse 1. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Now, I bet, I'll bet you right now we could go to a Christian bookstore today and we could find a painting. And chances are, on this painting, it would have like a sunrise or a sunset, probably an eagle in the background. And you would see verse 1 and it would say, God bless us. And, and by the way, that's it's not necessarily a bad thing because it's a wonderful verse. But they would only put generally verse 1 on it. That's, that's maybe not bad. But the, ver- the, the whole chapter of Psalm 67 doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. That might sell a painting. But God's not done with that word. That's just verse 1. I mean, but let's be real. Who doesn't want God to bless them? I mean, who here would say, I don't want God to bless me? I, I would be real careful saying that. I think we could get probably everybody say, yeah, I want God to bless me. I've even met an hardened atheist in rehab centers who I say, can I pray for you that God would bless you? And guess what they say? They say, sure. And, and I find that really interesting because you, you said you just don't believe that there is a God, but yeah, I want you to talk to him and ask him to bless me, which just goes to further prove the point that the Bible teaches there is no such thing as an atheist. None. It's like a unicorn or a Sasquatch. We talk about it, but they're not real. They're not real. Everybody knows there is a God, yet people suppress the truth. They deny him. Read Romans 1. Everybody knows there is a God. Now, whether they know him or not is another story. Whether they know him or not. And we pray, and we strive, and we work, and we preach that they would come to know him. But the, 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 the hardened atheist would say, yeah, sure, pray. So I do. I do. I pray that God would bless them and open the eyes of their heart to see the good news of the gospel, that, that Christ has died for sinners, and because their greatest problem is not addiction. And I pray that right there for them, that, that it's just a symptom. Their greatest problem is they're separated from their creator. Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus has come that we might have life and have it abundantly in him. So I pray that God would remove the obstacle, which is them their sin, and that he would give them faith and grant them repentance to believe the good news. But yet, this psalm is telling Israel, seek God's blessing. It says, listen, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. We should all be seeking God's blessing. So that's what's being said in verse 1. Now, I could hear it now. All the prosperity preachers be like, amen, and they're falling. Amen, yeah, preach that, brother. Listen, let's talk about God's blessings. Let's do this thing. They would be very, very excited, and as we should be. Yes, God, bless us. I mean, that's what the people of Israel are asking for, and they're right to do so because they learned to do it from their Bible. Listen, this text, verse 1, really just reflects what the, the priest would pray upon Israel when they would pray for them in the book of Numbers. Listen, as I read from Numbers 6, 24 through 26, it says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That's a beautiful prayer. That's a beautiful prayer. But it doesn't stop there. Listen, I love the second half of this verse. But let's, let's not finish. We're not done with one, though. Right? Because what's it say? And make his face to shine upon us. I love that. What does it mean to have God's face shine upon you? What does that mean? Well, I think it's the opposite of what many people think when they think of God and his face. I've many times in, in just sitting with just people say, what, what do you think God is, his face is like as he looks upon you right now? And many times it's like, ooh, I hope not. Because it's like very dejected and angry and scrowling and disappointed. And many times Christians think that's how God is looking upon them. Ah, but, but we're missing it. 
It's the opposite of that for the Christian. He's not looking down upon his blood-bought children with a nasty, disappointed look upon his face. He's not looking at us with an angry frown. Now, when we're in sin, he is disappointed. Don't be confused. He is saddened. He is grieved when we sin. But, but don't miss this. He's not looking at us with disgust or an indifference of who cares upon those who are his children. To have his face to shine upon us is to look at us with grace and with a smile upon his face. Have you ever thought of that? Have you ever thought the fact that the God who created the heavens and the earth and you and knitted you in your mother's womb and who has bought you by the blood of Jesus Christ, his face shines upon you? Have you given that thought? Because you need to. I need to. To get through a day, I need to think, listen, God's pleased with me, not because of me, but in spite of me, because of what Christ has done for me. I must think that. Otherwise, I got no hope. He would be disappointed. I'm not that impressive. You're not that impressive. We are not that impressive. But God, God is good. God's love is so good. His face to shine upon us. Listen, it's like the way a good father looks upon his children as they're playing in the front yard. I mean, man, some of my best days are just chilling, maxing, relaxing. I'm not going to do that. I just did that. Watching Sarah and the neighborhood kids play. It's just good to watch a kid play. And you know what? When she stumbles and fumbles and misses the goal, because my daughter is not all that athletic, although she's growing, I'm not disappointed. I'm like, that's my girl. That's my girl. And I'm a sinner. So there are times when I'm not looking at her and letting my face shine upon this girl like I ought. But God doesn't work like that. He's looking at you. And he loves you. And, and you need to know that. For us to move on to verse 2, we got to get that. If we don't get that, moving on is going to be very difficult. Those who are in Christ, we worship a happy God. Think of that. Think of that. Think on that. Meditate on that. Do you think of God that way? I'm asking you. Ask yourself. You don't have to answer. But if not, listen. You need to because nobody wants to spend time with the father who's always disappointed. Who's always just so disappointed. You won't draw near God if he's always an unhappy, disappointed God. You won't. You'll run from him. But listen, blood-bought children of God, your heavenly father loves you. He's for you. He is for you. He wants your best. And he knows way better than you and I do. We should always draw near to him because in him is life and life abundantly. So church, are we praying for God to bless us? That's a great question. Are we? To bless our marriages, to bless our children, to bless our children's future spouses if they have any, to bless their children and generations of children, our neighbors, the world, the church. Are we praying for that? Are we praying for God to be gracious and bless us and to have his face shine upon us? Because if not, we need to, because that text just told us to. Now listen, the greatest blessing of all is to know and to believe the good news of Jesus Christ and to have the creator and sustainer of the whole world, the whole universe, as our father. Right? That's the greatest blessing. When when we're adopted into family, we go from enemies of God to children. We go from, listen, under his wrath to beloved. Think of that. And his face then shines upon us. Now, you can have everything in the world. You really can. All the money, all the things. And yet, if you don't have God as your father, you're not blessed. You're under wrath. I don't don't care how great your life is. This is as close to heaven as you'll get apart from God being your father. But Christian, as bad as your life might be here, this is as close to hell as you're ever going to get because then comes glory. So the greatest blessing is to know God as your father. And that can only happen through the blood of Christ and trusting in him. So that's what it means to be blessed. God has greatly blessed us. I can say that to all of you. You're getting to hear the word of God preached. You have access to the gospel. Now, 
When we say God bless us, it's not so we can have our best life now and every day be Friday. That's, that's not what it means to have God bless us. So please don't confuse that. All right, and, and how do we know? Well, let's continue through the text. Look at, look at verse 2. Before we do, listen, we are blessed in order to be a blessing to the nations of God for his glory. So, so we took a perspectives class, and there were a few of you here. This was pounded into our mind, but they weren't teaching us anything that they couldn't prove by the scriptures. So picking it up back in verse 2, it says that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. That word, that See that right in your your Bible? That word is the most important word in this whole verse. And don't miss it. Don't miss it. It's the most important word in the whole psalm. Because if you lose it, you lose the whole main point of what God is teaching us. You would lose that. The reason we are to seek him and his blessings are so that. So that what? So that what? That God's way and his saving power would be known among all the nations. God is jealous for his namesake and for him to be worshipped throughout the world. God will not share his glory with another. Now, this would not be a foreign concept to the people of Israel. This, this has been the plan for God's people since they were a people, right? Listen to what God spoke to Abram in Genesis 12, 2 and 3. He says, and I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. See, when God had made this promise to Abram, Abram had no son. He had no son. I'm going to make a great nation from you. And he, he was up there in age, right? But God promises something. He will accomplish it. He will do it. So Abram, he does this. Now, this reference is to the Jewish nation, those descendants of Abraham through Isaac and Jacob. God, we know, has greatly blessed Abraham in many ways, including temporal and spiritual. But, but don't miss it. So that God would be worshipped throughout the world. Notice in verse 3 of Genesis 12, it says, In you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. See, this promise was fulfilled in the coming of Abraham's seed, Jesus, right? And it's through faith. We know that from Galatians. Galatians chapter 3, verse 6 and 7 says, Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. All right, so listen, if you trust in Jesus for your salvation, you're a spiritual Jew. You're grafted in. You're a part of this promise. And that's awesome because we have been blessed through this man and through God doing this, sending out his good news to the world that we might hear and believe this good news. Now, with that being said, Listen, verse 2, back to it in Psalm 67. That your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Please don't miss this. God blesses his people so that his way and saving power goes out to all the nations. In order that he, God, would be worshipped by every tongue, tribe, and nation. It's not primarily about you, the Bible. It's not primarily about me. It is primarily about a good and great, gracious, wonderful, merciful God who wants the world to worship him, not because he needs anything, but because it's the best thing for them, because he's a good God. Don't don't miss that. Otherwise, you will get it twisted. Now, this should not surprise anyone, right? Why? Well, because Jesus is a missionary God. Jesus came to this wretched place that we call earth, and he put on flesh, and he dwelt among us full of grace and full of truth. He came to seek and to save that which is lost. He left 
heaven where he was worshipped 24-7. Holy, holy, holy. On our class, in our class the other night, we were reading through Isaiah, and we were talking about the seraphim who's got like six wings, two he's covering his eyes with, two he's flying with, two he's covering his feet with, and he is preaching, holy, 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 and the thresholds are shaking and smoke. And listen, Isaiah is saying, I am an unclean man. I cannot be in the presence of this. And listen, God cleanses him with a hot coal. And he says, who will go? And he says, send me. Here am I. And we put that on our coffee cups. But what you don't realize is Isaiah's call to ministry was to go and to spit in the wind. Preach. They won't hear. Go ahead. Go. Why would God do that? He, he said, I'll go, send me. He goes. They don't hear. They don't hear. Here's what I know. Why would God do that? Because it's the best thing. I may not understand it, but I know this. It's the best thing. We're not, we're not responsible for results. We're called to go. We're called to preach. We're called to take the gospel where it is not. Why? Because your commander-in-chief, your Lord, your God has said, go. Go. So we go. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Our king has commissioned us to go. In the Old Testament, Israel was set up as a come and see nation. Come and see. Come and see. In the New Testament, that is drastically changed to go and tell. To go and tell. You have the good news. Now go and tell. It's not like let's build a big empire here so that people can come and see. That's done. If this building doesn't exist, the church still does. We'll get together in a field and get burnt or wear some suntan lotion. Right? Because you're the church. When we, when we leave, the church has left the building. And hopefully, God allows us to come back and worship him next week. But we go and we tell. Missionary David Livingston was quoted in saying this. If a commission by an earthly king is considered an honor, how can a commission by a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice. And, and make no mistake about it. You're a Christian. You've been commissioned. Don't believe me? Listen. Ready? Everybody's like, well, I wish God would just say that to me. He's about to. Now, it's not his voice, but this is his word. You ever want God to speak to you? Read your Bible aloud and then hear, and he'll speak to you. Ready? Matthew 28, 18 through 20. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. First off, stop there because that's awesome. When we go, we're going to the king who has authority everywhere. So why would we be afraid? Why Going into some pongo and preaching the gospel, well, what if something bad happens? I could leave here and get nailed on Philadelphia Street. God is sovereign here just as much as he is in some pongo. Do you believe that? Don't let fear hold you back from bringing the good news of the gospel to people who are dying and going to hell. Fear should never hold us back. Be bold. And as I've heard many times said, there's only one way to be bold, and that is to be bold. That's the only way, right? So all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of what? All nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And listen, and behold, listen, I'm with you always to the end of the age. There's no reason to be afraid. Listen, believer, in Christ, the Holy Spirit is with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. You can go and be bold. Why? Because the same power that raised Christ from the grave is now at work in all who believe. Do you believe that? Amen. Do you believe that? I'm, I mean, I'm, he is. It's like prego. He's in you. Go. Go. Mark 16, 15 says what? Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Go. You see a trend here? How about let's try Luke. 
How about Luke? Luke 24, 46 through 47. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. That doesn't satisfy you? How about John? There's four gospels. John 20, 21 says, peace be with you. We like that. Let's stop there. Nope. As the father has sent me, even I so am sending you. Go. I'm not done. Acts 1.8. But you, listen, Christian, will receive power. You will receive power. That's good news. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It cannot be more clear. We are to go. We are to go to our neighbors. Now, not everyone. So as you're like, is he going to ask us all to be missionaries to go overseas? Hang in there. No, but we all are a part of this mission. And some of you, I'm praying, will go overseas. I'm praying that. Why not? I'm absolutely praying that the kids in the back, that God would raise up missionaries. So if you got kids in the back, no, I'm praying that. And know that other people are joining me. And if he wants to do that, he'll do that. And if he doesn't, he won't. But I'm praying. I'm asking that he would. Let's not make the mistake, church, of keeping ourselves so super busy doing churchy things that we'll never accomplish the one goal that Jesus has told us to do. And what is it that he has told us to do? He has told us to make disciples. That's what he's told us to do. The Great Commission is not a calling for some. It is a mandate for all. We're to be a disciple-making machine. Mamas, listen. There's nothing greater that you can do than to love your kids and train them up in the Lord. Dads, go to work, provide, and show them what it looks like to be Christ and love your wife, not yourself and not your sin. Kids, pray that God would raise them up and save them young to send them out because all this life is temporary, and it's gone in a flash. It's a mist, the book of James would say, and none of us will ever regret giving our lives for this call. I promise you, you won't. In an instant, we will worship, and we will see his face in glory and in full, and we will never say, wow, I really wish I would have went golfing more. You won't. You will not. And if you golf, golf to the glory of God and enjoy it. And then get to know some of the other humans that are out there golfing and tell them about Jesus. Wherever you're at, whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, do all things to the glory of God. Listen, listen, God never draws sinners into his family except to send them out. That's, that's the point. He sends us out to the unreached to engage the unengaged in the world. Why? Because he's worthy to be praised. He's worthy to be praised. So we go out into the world and we serve and we reach out for the glory of God. Listen, I'm about to give you some definitions and some numbers. Sometimes this really doesn't do much for people. If you want this stat sheet, I'll give it to you so you can think upon it because it's probably a little more information. It's like trying to take a drink from a fire hydrant that just someone cracked open. You'll get a little sip, but the rest will just go right past you. Engaged. What does it mean to be an engaged people? Well, an engaged people is a people that is engaged when any evangelical church or missionary organization is implementing a church planning strategy among them. So America, it's engaged. I mean, it's really, really engaged. Even Guatemala, it's engaged. It's much engaged. All right. What's an unreached people group? Well, an unreached people group is a people group that is unreached with less than 2% of its population that is an evangelical Christian. So it's engaged, but it's not reached, okay? There's, there's, there's some gospel presence there. What is an unengaged people group? An unengaged people group is a people group that is unengaged with no evangelical church that is planning a strategy underway. So... No chance to get the gospel. So, well, right, we're talking about people group. What's a people group, right? Well, here's what the definition of a people group is. A people group is, I'm going to mess this up, an ethno-linguistic group with a common self-identity that is shared among various members. So when we see the word nations in the Bible, don't think like Europe. There are nations of people all within. So in Guatemala, there's many different 
people groups in Guatemala. Some of them might be reached, some of them might not be, but they actually all have access because in all, I forget how many languages, there's a lot of different dialects, they all have the word of God in their language, and there is a people trying to reach this people group. Now, so on this globe we call earth, there's 7 billion, give or take a lot probably, people on it. Okay, out of that there's about 4,700 people groups or 3 billion people that no longer need reached. They're reached. That doesn't mean they're all saved. Not everybody in America is saved, but they have access to the gospel. They have access to a church. They have access to God's people. They're reached. Now, the next one, though, there's about 3,500 people groups or 3.8 billion people that are engaged but still unreached. Now, there is hope there, though, because there's a gospel presence. Well, what do we need to be doing? We need to pray that God would save them. All the means are there. They need repentance and faith. God help, right? So we, we pray. And then lastly, lastly, there's, there's 3,000 people groups or 200 million people that are unengaged and unreached. Yeah. I can see by your face some of that that hit some of you the way it ought. And some of you, and that's okay. I'll leave that up to God. There is 3,000 people groups or 200 million people that have no, no access to the good news. They can't hear it, and they don't know it. They don't know that they have a, a God who has lovingly laid down his life to save them. How can they be glad in God? How can they sing for joy if they've never heard the name Jesus? Answer, they can't. And the wrath of God still remains on them. And that's why we must go. So what is it that's going to be the driving force to go? That's a, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked. You guys are really participating well with my sermon. White-hot worship will be the driving force to reach the nations. By that, listen, worship is the goal, the end result, and the fuel to go. Right? It really is. Let's continue through the rest of the psalm, picking it up in verse 3 through 7. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples, 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 all of them, the ones we just talked about, including the 200 million who have never heard. Let them praise you. Let the nations be glad. Let them sing for joy. For you, God, you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O oh God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Let them fear him. What a great and glorious God we worship. Let the peoples praise you, O oh God. Listen, pray that. Pray, God, that you would let them do that. Let them be glad. Let them sing for joy. Let them know of your saving grace. And my question for you, though, and, and, and as I wrote this sermon, the question is for me, is do I sing for joy when I think upon the glorious saving grace of God? Does my heart fill up? I'm not just talking emotions, but I am talking emotions. Am I excited by my Savior? Does he fill my cup? Or is it the things of the world that get my heart thumping? And, and the reason I ask that is if, if it's not the Lord that is, that is making who you are go, something else is. And I would tell you, if that's you, you need to ask God for forgiveness. Now, I've been there. We've been there. You're going to be there again because we're all cracked pots. But God, let you be our satisfier. By the power of your Holy Spirit, let us be glad and sing for joy in you. Because if not, we'll never reach the nations. We, we won't. If you're not glad in God, you won't reach your neighbor. <laughs> you won't. If you're not thrilled with Jesus, none of your neighbors are going to know because it hasn't done anything for your own heart. 
And God help us if we did reach the nations and we weren't glad in him. What would we export them? Dead religion. I mean, really, we would. So listen to what John Piper says once again. He says, if we are not real and deep and fervent in our worship of God, we will not commend him among the people groups with genuineness. How can you say to the nations, be glad in God, if you're not glad in God? That's so, well, that's, that's really a poignant point for our own lives here. Just think here. If you're not glad in God, are your kids going to be glad in God? Answer, no. Now, can his grace cover up your ungladness? Sure. If you're not glad in God, are your neighbors going to know? Nope. Now, listen, I know this about men because, well, I'm a man, and I hang out with men. Yesterday, I'm at a wedding, had a great time talking to this dude, and we talked more about sports than anything ever. And I, it was a joy because I have two women within the house that aren't really excited about sports. So I had a great time hanging and talking. But I knew this as I was talking to this young man. Here's what I knew about him. The more he talked about basketball, which is what he loved, the more he was enjoying our conversation. Because his joy was complete. He was having a blast. Now, now listen, Jesus alone, Christian, must be our all soul-satisfying object of worship. We must seek to be happy in him. Oh God, make your face to shine upon us. Let's pray that. Let's pray that. Oh, it might be crazy. Who knows? You might be satisfied in him. That'd be, that'd be awesome, right? I mean, shouldn't that, what, that's the way we should pray the moment we wake up. God, make my heart happy in you. Before we do anything else, just let my soul delight in you because otherwise I'm working from my flesh and not your spirit. I'm going through my religious routines, but I'm not happy in you. God, make your face to shine upon this people. There's many times when I'm praying for you because I don't know what else to pray. Half the time I don't. But listen, I know this. When you enjoy something, it completes your joy to share it. Listen to what C.S. Lewis wonderfully articulated as he articulated this thought. I think we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete till it is expressed. It is frustrating to have discovered a new author and to not be able to tell someone how good he is. To come suddenly at a turn upon the road and upon some mountain valley in unexpected grandeur and then to have to keep silent because the people who you care for, they care for it no more than a tin can in a ditch. To hear a good joke and to have no one to share it with. The Scotchman Catechism says that the man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But we shall then know that these are the same things. Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. And I would say, I know that's true, and amen. I know it's true because as I was sitting in the commonplace on Monday, my phone rings and a buddy of mine, Scott, gives me a call and I'm finishing up this sermon and actually I was stuck and God said, well, I'll help you. Boom, this phone rings and my buddy Scott calls me and he goes, I got to tell you something that has made me laugh until my side hurts. And I'm like, I could use some of that right now. So he tells me, which I'm not going to tell you because I don't have time, but I will say this, listen, it brought him so much joy that he could not wait to tell me. So he calls me and he tells me. And the beautiful thing was when he was done telling me this, it was really funny for me too. So I start cracking up. Now, that could be weird when you're by yourself at the commonplace because everyone's looking at me like I'm a few fries short of a Happy Meal. But I didn't care. I really didn't care. Why? Because it was funny. And if they could only know about my joy and what I experienced, they'd laugh too. But this is the point. Two friends have a commonality. We shared, and his joy went up because he shared. Now, do you believe that's true for you to share the good news of Christ? Because I know it is experientially. 
Will you believe enough to do it? That's our prayer. So when the heart of the worshiper is satisfied in God, that will lead to mission. Listen to Psalm. Actually, I'm going to skip that. I'm going to skip that for time's sake. Listen, uh, when I was in Guatemala, I was reading a book as well. I had some kind of weird bite on my foot or something and was laid up, in case you didn't notice from the picture. But when I was reading, there was, a, there was a very poignant paragraph in a book that I was reading, and I want to read that to you. It says, when a man yearns for the sea, his lack of know-how will not keep him landbound for long. He will figure out the skills necessary to sail. Our problem is not that we haven't found the right problem that enables us to reach the world. Our problem is that we don't yearn to see God's glory spread over the earth enough to build whatever ships are required to reach people for Christ and see his glory awaken in their hearts. I was like, man, I read that over and over. That is awesome. So Christian, when God saved you, he blessed you. And he brought you into the family in order to be a blessing. Make no mistake about it. Jesus calls every follower to be involved in missions, to have God's way and saving power be known among all the nations for his glory, for our good, and for people's ultimate joy. Now, the assignments might be different for all of us. They really might be. As a matter of fact, they will be. Not everyone's going to be a missionary. Not everyone. But we should all participate in this mission right, as goers, and we have, we have goers from our church. They went. Have you forgot? I hope not. Pray. Pray. Give. Encourage. Send encouragement. They've went to an unreached and unengaged people to preach the good news. So there's goers. I know for a fact within here, there are senders, people who are working to give more money, to pray, And then there's another category that I don't want any of us to be in. By the way, I do think this is collectively as a church, so I'm thankful that our church goes. Because that means you're all participating. It really does. But if you're sitting there thinking, well, I've never prayed, gave, thought, then you're in another category that's called disobedient. And it's time to change. And I don't mean you, I'm not asking you to like grow wings and fly. I'm saying, think about the nations. Pray for the nations. Give and train up disciples here. Train up disciples here. And and, okay, so let's think back to the psalm and let's finish it out. The psalm begins with a prayer that God would be gracious to us so that God, as he blesses us, so that the nations might know of his salvation and that they might be glad and sing for joy. Look how it ends. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Good news, ready? This will happen. This will happen. Why? Because God said it would. God said it would. In Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, he says, for the earth will, will, not might be, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters covers the sea. (laughs) Now, don't let the fact that it's going to happen say, well, then we'll let the next generation figure it out. No, 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 no. Why? Because we want more joy. I want more joy. Do you want more joy? I want more joy. Be on mission doing what God's doing will bring you that joy if you're his. I promise you, everything else ends up being like sand in your mouth. Do what the Father's doing, and you will find your soul's delight in him. I long to see the day that that prophecy is fulfilled, and it will happen. Listen, Jesus prophesied. uh, Well, So John has prophesied in the book of Revelation. We don't have to guess how it ends. We know. He's told us, right? And we know that Jesus is building his church, his bride, and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to the nations, and then the end will come. And what will that look like? What will that sound like? Ready? Last text of the day, Revelation 5, 1 through 14. And I want, now listen, the other night when we were hanging out doing our doctrine class, by the way, I'm loving that class, and I think the people that are there are loving it. But we took some time, and I said, listen, when we read the Bible, not read it cold, I want you to pretend that you are a movie maker, all right? That might seem strange to you, but play along, because it's a fun game. And you're going to make a movie, and as I read, I want you to think, what do you hear? What do you see? What do you smell? Put yourself in it, because there will come a day that you will be there. 
So you might as well try to envision it now. Ready? Revelation 5, 1 through 14. There might be some things you don't understand. I'm not going to talk about them. We can chat afterwards, but listen. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so he, that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne, the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw the lamb standing. And though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth, and he went, and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tongue and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked. And I heard all around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads upon myriads and thousands upon thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Can you picture this? He is so worthy. He is so worthy. You cannot give your life to anything more important than to making disciples who make disciples who go and proclaim this great king. Nothing. In order, I want to be real clear, in order to be at this worship service that we just read, you must place your faith in that lamb. And that lamb is Jesus Christ. He is the lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. And when you do, you will realize that he alone is worthy to be praised. And only in him can you find forgiveness and have your heart be glad and sing for joy. So if you do not know him, consider this your invitation to come and receive forgiveness of sins. No more playing church. No more just doing your Sunday punch your ticket type thing. That stuff is dead. No more. I'm telling you, if you're in the domain of darkness... God delights to transfer you into his kingdom through the blood of Christ. And you will receive the forgiveness of sin and have your heart satisfied. Believe in Jesus for your salvation. Believe the good news. Tell the world. 